0: Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? So glad that you're here with us this morning uh, to worship together, to hear God's word. Um, if you're new here, we have new people all the time show up. And uh, if you're new here, I hope that you were warmly welcomed. I hope you found our new here little section and, and you were given a gift. And, and uh, hopefully that helps you know us a little bit more Is there some information about us. And uh, the other thing that we offer to connect with you, especially if you're new, but if you haven't done this, we encourage you to do this. Text this number, I think it's up there, there it is, Um, text that number, just text welcome and you'll be connected to us and we'll get to share with you more what's happening uh, in Lifestone. If you don't want to get those messages anymore, all you got to do is text stop and, and it quits. And so um, that's a great way, because there's so much going on here. Kish, thanks for sharing some of the things that are going on here. Uh, We're starting our fall things, and fall just kind of kicks into a new gear of things that are happening, and uh, many of you guys have joined our life classes on Monday. We're excited about those. Great turnout, and lots of new people, lots of new faces on Monday nights, um, and we love that because we just want to continue to connect with people and help them grow. Um, and then life, class, or life groups have started, and, and we've got tons of people in those, and so thank you guys for, for being a part of those. Um, today we're going to look at Romans chapter 14, and we're going to be in chapter 14 for a couple weeks. I think it's a very interesting chapter. Um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into uh, Joshua. Yeah, I know that sounds weird. God, we love you. And uh, I thank you for your truth and your word. I pray that is what people walk away with. Uh, God, I pray, as, as Kristen prayed, if uh, there's someone here that doesn't have the eternal life that you offer as a free gift through your grace, through simply accepting that in faith, God, I pray today's the day that they make that decision. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, I said Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua. The whole... Uh, kind of subject matter that we're looking at here is, what do we do, how do we address uh, Christians, ourselves, believers, when we have different perspectives, different opinions about issues that aren't the core essential issues of the Christian faith. And that happens all the time. On my way to church here, I was like, hey, kids, Um, We're we're probably going to go out to eat after church. Where do you guys want to go? Why do I ask the question, right? I got a lot of, well, not this place, or not this type of food, or this type of food, you know. Um, It's funny, as that just seems to be something we've done a lot. We find that we can connect with people a lot after church just going out to eat. So, hey, you're invited? Oh, this is the early service. It's right. We still like you. And... um, (laughs) I haven't figured you guys out yet, though, um, We who who comes to the early service, and most people come to the late service, and then there'll be a weird Sunday where more people come to the early service, like last week, but uh, not this week. So, but we're glad you're here, and we love inviting people, it's a great way to just sit down, share a meal, and kind of get to know people, so you're invited. If you want to, you know, come by later and uh, uh, come out to eat with us, that's cool, but but what do you do and what do many of us who are friends and, and do that after church? Um, you sit there and you wait, like, it's, you hope somebody, you know, has some strong voice and has some strong opinion about where, where to go to eat, right? There, there, this is such an issue. I remember back in Texas, uh, we'd have the same issue. Where are we going to eat? That There was an app. I don't know if it's still there. And, and it would... It would uh, put together all the local restaurants in the area, and you could kind of filter them like on you know, how expensive they were, what type of food. And you'd hit a button, and it would randomly pick a restaurant. And so I, I thought I was brilliant and was like, aha, I have discovered the answer to figure out this dilemma of, of where to eat after church. And so I got this app, and I was like, hey, who's going out to, to eat with us? Anyone who wants to go? Come on. All right. I'm going to hit this button. We're going to go wherever. You know, and it, the restaurant shows up. And it didn't work at all. Every, the exact same thing happened. People are like, well, I went there last week, and I don't know, and I don't like that kind of food, and I went there once, and their health rating review, blah, blah, blah. And so I deleted that app. So us as believers, even believers in the same church who know and love each other and have have relationships and friendships, we can't even decide on what restaurant to go to often, right? And there are many issues as we walk through the Christian life and try to live out a Christian life that that honors God and, and, and follows God's word. And, and there's, there's what the Bible refers to um, in the NIV version. It, it calls what we're about to address, address disputable matters. And these are things that people have opinions on, but they're not the core essential beliefs of the Christian faith. They're not things that we don't compromise on. They're things that, well, some person says, hey, this is how we should worship in this way, or or, or just different takes on, on um, things that aren't as um, essential. And so Paul gives us an entire chapter in Romans, chapter 14, to address how we interact with each other when it comes to these issues. Because I don't know if you've been around any churches long or any any really kind of religious system or anything. You'll see that these little things can absolutely cause incredible division, incredible uh, um, judgment and pain and and just um, hardship among God's people. And so Paul knows that, and he doesn't want that to happen, because God says, hey, we should be united. We should love each other, and the world will actually, in our ability to be united and love each other, that's going to convince the world that Jesus is who he says he is, actually. And so... Um, So this is really important stuff that we're addressing. So like I said, let's look at Joshua chapter 22. I want to read you what what I think is a classic example of God's people judging another group of God's people based on kind of misinformation and and, and just this is how we we can often address other people that may have a different take. Okay, so we're going to look at Joshua chapter 22 And I'm just going to begin it and kind of finish up the story. It says, Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh. He told them, You have done as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed every order I have given you. During all this time, you have not deserted. um, you, You have not deserted the other tribes. You've been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to the present day. And now the Lord your God has given the other tribes rest as he promised them. So go back home to the land that Moses, the, ser- the servant of the Lord, gave you as your possession on the east side of the Jordan River. But be careful to obey all the commands of the uh, And the instructions that Moses gave you, love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, obey his commands, hold firmly to him, and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went home. Okay, you guys might be like, what in the world is happening here? So this is God's people, they get taken out of Egypt. Uh, 400 years of captivity. They wander in the wilderness. They finally get to go into the promised land. It's not the easiest thing in the world getting into the promised land. There's some some uh, people that they come across that they have to uh, go to war with. And eventually they they are in God's promised land. And they're at, as it was mentioned in this passage, some rest and some peace. But before and kind of before that peace and rest came... And they were established in that land two and a half tribes. I always thought that was so weird, like half a tribe. so uh, two and a half tribes of of the nation of Israel along this journey when they, when they came to this point and they're on the other side of the Jordan River, they said, "This is beautiful, amazing land and and we would love to just settle here and this be the, the part of, of of the promised land that we Uh, receive and they were like okay that's fine but we have to move forward and and um, you know do what God's called us to to kind of settle this land and so after that was done this is what it's referring to like okay you guys can go back you two and a half tribes the tribe of Reuben Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh you guys can go back to that place that you felt like man this is the place God has for us In the Promised Land, so they sent him back, and they said, "But continue to love God, continue to worship the one true God." So, as they, you can read it, uh, you know, on your own. It's an interesting story, but it goes on to tell uh, the story of how, when they went over there, the 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 people thought, you know, what's going to happen generations from now? The the rest of the nation of Israel. May, they, they may kind of forget that we're a part of the nation of Israel. They may, they may even claim that we can't worship and honor the one true God. That's everything that we're about. And so what we're going to do is we're going to erect this monument to remind ourselves of what has happened here. And, and we're going we're gonna to make this big thing, and it'll be a reminder to the people on the other side, our, our fellow Jewish uh, nation and and our people moving forward that were the same. And so the people heard that they had erected this monument or this altar. And so the rest of the, um, what is it, nine and a half tribes. <laughs> so half tribe, I still got to say that one. Uh, they heard that they had erected this altar, and they assumed that it was towards... Uh, the false gods and everything, and they had gone away and wandered away from from God. And so what they felt like their duty was to do was to go destroy them. And so Phineas... Uh, that's funny, you hear the word Phineas. I immediately think of Phineas and Ferb. So Phineas is the priest, the high priest at this time, and he said the people are mad. They hear that this, this, these two-and-a-half tribes have erected this new altar... They're standing up for God's truth, and they're going to go destroy these, these two. And so they gather all their armies, and they, 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 you know, had this war machine going on to settle the land, the promised land. And they gathered them all, and they were headed over there. And Phineas was like, okay, first I'm going to go talk to them and tell them what's what. You guys have abandoned God, and you have, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We made that altar to remind ourselves, To it, it's actually made to prevent this. We made this altar so that the rest of the tribes wouldn't someday come over and try to destroy us. But you guys want to destroy us because we made the altar? I'm confused. And so after Phineas sat down with him and talked to him, he went, oh, okay. And that's not exactly how the Bible puts it. But that's Good, our bad hey Army, you guys are you know back on um, you know call or whatever, go sorry, we called you up to get ready for war, but no you 're good, go back home and and it was it thankfully at least the information got out, and there wasn 't you know uh, needless blood bloodshed or anything but but the whole attitude is what we can see sometimes in god 's people that that, oh, those people are doing something or have a different way of doing something. And so they are our enemies. And we're going to look at them very differently. And we're going to treat them as our enemies. Um, and so what we what we look at in chapter 14 warns us against that. And the other thing when I look at this chapter, I think, this is what I hope Lifestone Church is about. I hope this is a good description of following Romans chapter 14. And we do have to remind ourselves that there is 13 chapters before it, right? And 13 chapters of clearly spelling out God's grace and God's goodness. Our sinfulness and our brokenness and our rebellion against a God who we can do nothing to be made right with. That on our own effort, there's no way we're going to be right. But God in his grace and his love provided a way and did everything necessary. And, and what we run into now is like, okay, how do we as his people follow and, and, and um, respond to what he's done? So, of course, remember the context that this is getting into some details that wouldn't be just automatically addressed and given uh, to people out of the blue without that context. So Romans 14, chapter 1 begins, and it says, "Except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong verse two for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything I'm in that camp that's my my camp but another person believes a sense, uh, with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. those are not that is not my camp <laughs> And we love you anyways. And that's the whole point. As I read that, I'm like, oh, goodness, those people. No, I love you guys. Um, So the key in that first verse, in some of your versions, it it may use that terminology. Because when I think of this, I I think of that terminology, uh, disputable um, issues. And, and, And here in the NLT, it says, they think is right or wrong. It is making a clear distinction. These are not firm, solid truths of who God is, who Jesus is, what salvation is. That is not what we're addressing here. We're addressing details of living out the Christian life that can often cause uh, disunity, and that shouldn't be the case. We should recognize, look, if we don't all agree to go to the same place uh, for lunch after church, we can still love each other, right? Right? We, we can still uh, have this incredible bond because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives, right? Um, and, and this instance, let me give you a little background. Uh, why would that be that people wouldn't eat meat? Well, you have a lot of believers uh, early on that have a Jewish background. And, and they are still following and still have within them this, this understanding that that they should follow all these Jewish laws and rituals. And, and part of those, if you're familiar with the, the terminology of kosher, things that are kosher, especially as it's addressing meat, that means if something's kosher, that, that not only is it only certain kinds of meat and certain kinds of animals can be consumed, but they have to be even uh, killed or slaughtered in a certain way. And the blood in those animals have to be drained in a certain way. And, and all these requirements need to happen as they're following this Old Testament law and rule. So many of the new, be- the, the new believers in Jesus have that background. And so that's a part of their uh, conscious e- objection to eating any meat. Because often the meat that's available, they wouldn't know how it was processed, how that animal was, was uh, slaughtered and how the blood was drained and all those things, they, they wouldn't know. And in that day and time, and specifically in the cultures that we run ac- across a lot that Paul is addressing, a lot of the meat was sacrificed to idols. And we see this specifically addressed in the New Testament, that often, as as most of the population believed in these just made-up gods, you know, the god of Zeus and, and all these... Um, Different gods that that they as they sacrificed an animal, um, they didn't have what we have nowadays, freezers and refrigeration. You know, they they would try to salt as much meat as much as they could to preserve it as long as they could. But when you s- slaughtered a whole animal, there was a lot of leftover meat, and there was a a a, a system that was in place that they had this superstitious religious type of idea, because all religion is pretty superstitious, well, okay, I've got this extra thing that's valuable and good, so I'm going to take this meat, and I'm going to sacrifice it uh, to this God, so that I get some blessings, and so that I can, you know, the gods will be happy with me, or whatever, and so a lot of that meat wound up, after being sacrificed, wound up then going into the markets to be sold, and so there were some believers who knew that whole process and knew that that's much of where the meat in the market came from. And they thought, you know what? Now I know the truth. Now I know the one true God. Now I know Jesus. He's changed everything. He's given me this new life. Man, I certainly I don't want anything to do with meat that has been used in a satanic type worship service goodness I don't want anything to do with that right and so there was people from that camp there were people from the the kosher perspective camp Um, and then there's other people going Zeus is like a cartoon character he's totally made up meat is good have you ever had a ribeye that's marbled just right that's cooked just right that's good stuff that God made. I have no problem whatsoever. So me, again, I'm in that camp. <laughs> you know, but if people have that and that's what they're wrestling with and they're doing, you know, uh, they're, they're processing all of that, Paul says we shouldn't allow those, th- those type of things to divide us. Number one, we'll, we'll actually fill out some things this morning. Um accept all Christians, regardless of spiritual maturity. Now, this would have been a perfect time for me to tell you about the time I did a wedding. And and you guys know what I'm talking about, because just a few weeks ago, I shared with you, and I'm like, oh, it's too soon to share that again. But let me briefly share it. The wedding that I did with the beer can Arbor... And the uh, bridesmaids coming down the aisle in their Daisy Dukes, and me wearing my tuxedo T-shirt. And um, the the centerpieces for the wedding reception were um, beer bottles, and um, and it was. And then they they after I, they said I do, and and the ceremony was over. They they joined hands and went around to the water slide behind me the inflatable water slide, and slid down it um, as part of the ceremony. So, <laughs> true story. You guys think I'm making that up. I have witnesses. <laughs> I'm leaving out some of the juicier details. <laughs> but what had happened is um, this young lady and her um, her husband, soon to be husband, her fiance had just come to Christ. They were baby, brand new believers and, and they, everything was new to them and they already had this big wedding planned and they wound up coming to our church. Why? Because we were a church that didn't, uh, they felt like they could come to and, uh, they heard the gospel and they accepted it and they were so excited, but they were baby Christians. Um, and so there was probably some things and decisions that if they had been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe they would have done some things different. But what would be my response according to Romans chapter 14? Should I say, no, I'm not? Because what was awesome was because this was a new thing and their family was and friends were gathered, they said, Ben, we want you to share the good news. We want you to share with our friends and family about who Jesus is. And so I got to do that in this crazy, weird setting, trying not to be too distracted by whatever beer dripping on my head from the arbor of beer cans <laughs> above me, right? Um, and just understand where people are and, and, and allow them and help them grow up uh, in their faith. But we don't, we don't reject them. We don't say, oh, you can't be a part Um, we see this mentality often in these little disputable matters. Um, I've also shared with you guys, if you've been with us, uh, stories of people getting upset because, um, I worked with teenagers for years and years and, and, uh, some of my teenagers never stepped foot in church in their life and, uh, they would come and, and they'd wear a hat in the sanctuary. We got to At first, I didn't see a couple of you guys with hats. I'm going to wear a hat next week, just to make a point. That, that is, that is a, um, just, it, it's just a traditional understanding and idea. What's interesting, you could make a stronger biblical case that we should wear hats in the sanctuary, because the Bible talks about how we should cover our heads in worship in the Old Testament. Uh, I think you could make a stronger case if you wanted to, but that's not the point. Um, there, there is in many expressions of the Christian faith these different little traditional things that that people say God is pleased with you or unpleased with you based on some something that we think is disrespectful or respectful, and and how do we deal with these things? Um, It goes on in chapter 3 to say, Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whenever they stand uh, or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. So again, he starts getting into very specific issues, and that's why I mentioned, you know, wearing a hat. Or some people get upset because you have coffee or donuts in a sanctuary. And, and, and our, my, my worry and concern about that is we are imposing a religious mindset. That there are sacred. We did a whole series on this: uh, sacred places and and sacred situations. And the Bible says, in Christ, you are the sacred person. You are the sacred place. You are a temple of God, not not some place that we put chairs up and 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 do something good and wonderful and, and talk about God. Um, but we hopefully you do that in your workplace and in your home and in, in wherever. And I'm guessing you might eat. Donuts and drink coffee in your home and and and, and those different places. So um, it talks about the specific issue of days of the week. And well, two thousand years later, you can even identify certain people saying, "Oh, well, on this certain day of the week, you can or can, can't, or should or shouldn't do certain things." And 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 Paul says, "Hey, look, every." It it really doesn't matter. I'm in the every day is the same camp because of Christ and what he's done. And so many people in Christian circles who want to say, well, you know, today's the Sabbath. And so we should or shouldn't do certain things. Again, we kind of we kind of make ourselves look a little silly when we try to stand on some of this legalism because today's not the Sabbath. You guys know that today's the Lord's day the Sabbath is Saturday. And it's not even Saturday. It's sundown Friday from sundown Saturday evening. So don't even say Saturday because you might be okay on certain portions of Saturday and you might not be okay on certain portions of Friday. And so we don't, we, you know, some people want to pick and choose and here's the tradition and this is what I've been told and this is, this is what uh, makes God happy or doesn't make God happy. And you guys know, if you've seen or observed some of this, what it leads to is very unloving, unkind attitudes towards others. And we look at certain groups and certain buildings or, or, or different you know, um, ways that, that, that Christians might group themselves together and say, those people. And that's what we saw in Joshua Oh, my goodness, they live on the other side of the river, and now they are those people. And now we're going to assume everything they're doing is, is, is not what they should be doing. And so um, it goes on to talk real specifically about something. I thought, oh, no, this won't be something we deal with today. No, sure enough, this is something that you see uh, pretty, pretty commonly, that there's a certain day of the week that is, that is more holier or, or different than other days of the week. In the same way, some, uh, I'm sorry, let's go to verse uh, 6. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do it so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. And so what Paul goes on to to say is, and, and here's honestly the camp that I can go into, if someone tries to put a certain time or place or do a certain thing and, and they, in their conscious and in their heart, they're trying to do it to honor the Lord, um, I need to take stock of the fact that, that I don't somehow make them feel unaccepted because of their conviction. But then God's word tells them the exact same thing towards me if I don't have that conviction. I'll give you another real practical uh, thing that we deal with in, in Christian circles. Halloween. Ooh, Satan's holiday. We're Christians. There's no way we could ever participate in anything like that. I mean, my perspective, your neighbors are giving away free stuff. Go get it. (laughs) Right? But I want to honor and be sensitive to anyone who feels like, um, you know, they don't want to participate in that. But those who don't want to participate don't turn around and go. Well, you're worshiping Satan. You're claiming to be a Christian, but you're obviously your kid dressed up as Phineas, and obviously I'm like, no, it's the priest back in Joshua. No, I don't know. I'm being dumb. You're obviously, and so both ways and both Easter, do we use East? We shouldn't even celebrate Easter. It has its roots in in this this. Uh, pagan holiday and and what the Easter bunny has nothing to do with and and that's much of that is very true I think there's a lot of debate on the the historical background but but I I love personally my perspective is God takes evil broken bad things like then and gives them this resurrection and this new life and so let's take this thing this holiday even if people view it as just a secular thing and let's Let's point use it as a ramp or a bridge to point them to what real Easter is about as Christians, what we know real Easter is about. And so, but if someone's convicted that they don't want to have anything to do with anything that that, that looks like Easter or a secular version of that, man, I want to respect that and love them and know that there's a unity and something that we hold and cherish much closer and deeper that's beyond our personal. Uh, preferences on those things. Verse 10 goes on to say, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other, deciding instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble, stumble, or fall, and so what Paul says is actually instead of like, you know, worrying so much about you being offended because of your convictions, uh, make sure that you're, you know the core belief of what you know to be true. That what makes us right before God, not anything, not any tradition, not any legalism that we think is making us right before God. Jesus and Jesus alone, His righteousness is credited to us as a gift of grace. So we have the righteousness of Jesus as a gift if we put our trust in Jesus. And so when we stand before God, it's not, did you celebrate this holiday or eat this thing or not honor this day or or whatever things that we think. We're just getting back into a very religious mindset. And, And we're in something completely new, as we did a whole series called Completely New, Christ came to do something completely new to obliterate and get rid of religion and that that thinking and that understanding. And so we stand. And so He reminds us some really solid theology. And what we've gone through for thirteen chapters, we're right before God because of what Jesus has done. And and if I have the righteousness of Jesus and I celebrate Easter or Christmas, that's another one that can be called Santa Claus, you know, and those kind of things. And um, and, and you don't, or, or vice versa, the righteousness that we have before God is not based on any of those things that we, we tend to want to make it based on. It's based on Jesus and his perfect righteousness. And not that these aren't important issues, right? Sometimes these are pretty significant important issues, but I hope our love and compassion for each other doesn't go out the window. When we try to address these things. So number two, never use our freedom to judge another believer. Never use our freedom to judge another believer. Verse 14 goes on to say, I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And that's kind of interesting because me, I I get, I'm like, wait a minute. There's not truths that are different. There's absolute truth. What is happening here? And I think what Paul is addressing is if someone has this deep conviction that they shouldn't do that, that is not something that we should try to impose and make them feel bad or whatever. But that as God is working on them and, and the spirit of God lives in them as a believer and is, as, as helping them grow to maturity, that they need to follow the convictions that now the Spirit of God is leading them to. And so don't try to get them to not follow their convictions. And, and, as, and, and trust the Holy Spirit to guide them to all truths. And so um, it goes on in verse 15, And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, and that is a, a key term that we run across, If if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone else for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And that's the whole point, that we should have this incredible harmony that makes the world go, how does such a different, diverse, interesting group that has such an attractive uh, pastor, how does that group, just making sure you guys are awake, how does that group come together, like what do they have in common? Isn't that interesting? As like people might look at, you know, two different couples that are really good friends here and go, wait a minute. They come from different backgrounds. They come from different, uh, you know, they don't live in the same area. They, they, you know, all these different, oh, and the world is supposed to see that our unity is in Christ. And that shines Christ. Uh, that makes him shine brightly instead of um you know other things and it and it should surprise people in a a way that that the kind of unity that we're called to have um and so uh there's so much in the scripture and that's why we're going to take another week to look at some of the more more details in this passage as well um It goes on in verse 20 to say, Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts... About whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning, and that goes along with what i what I mentioned earlier, and kind of like, wait a minute um, but but it is okay, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, so so uh, be sensitive to him guiding you. but what it's saying is is you know sometimes we want to flaunt our Christian freedom and not care. Or be sensitive to where other people are. And how they're viewing it. And then they don't receive the, the indisputable truths that we want them to receive. Because we've offended them with, with something else. And so and the Bible says, and this is particularly talking in between Christians. So I've been in settings. I'll give you practical uh, you know, situations that I've been in. Where I knew. That, that there should be, uh, there are people in the room that are believers and love Jesus, and they have the opinion that no one should ever put alcohol on their lips. Ever. cough are up even, I don't know. There's probably a good alternative that doesn't have alcohol in it. You know, and then there's other Christians who look at scripture and read what Paul wrote there and said, and then see that Jesus kind of made wine in his very first miracle and, um, you know, I don't know, moderation is what that, and, and there's, so, there's a truth I think that we both can hold to that's hard to dispute, which the Bible says, don't be drunk. And that seems reasonable. And that seems okay. That would be a place uh, that that that's reasonable. And that makes sense that God wouldn't want us to get to some place where we're not in control, um, of what we're doing and what we're saying. And so, but if I'm in a, a group or a setting and, and that is not, you know, I go to lunch with some pastors and I know their perspective. I'm not going to order a beer and go, I have freedom. Forget you guys. You know, um, and in the same way, there might be an instance where it may be almost offensive to not partake in something. And of course, you wouldn't get drunk, but you might be in a setting, in a culture where where they the, the, the household or the, the community of faith and different I remember my wife, Uh, I I shouldn't tell this story when her mom's here, but she went on tour in Europe in a choir, uh, a church choir, and um, they went to one event, and after they sang in the church, they had essentially screwdrivers, Uh, orange juice and vodka. (laughs) I'm glad some of you guys don't know what that is. I had to look it up. Um, and she didn't want to be rude, even though she was 17. No, I don't think she, I don't know if she had any or not. I just think it's funny. I think they had no idea, and they, like, sipped and went, wait a minute. (laughs) What is this? And that's what she would say, and then others in the group would probably go, we know exactly what this is. So, that's not a great example, but you might be in a setting, and I have been in those settings, where, where people were actually offended because, um, you know, I didn't have the, the honor to take a sip of their, you know, uh, their family's uh, vintage wine that they were proud of or something. And as I was trying to build relationships, you know, uh, that would be an instance where, um, you know, if I had some conviction um, that I, w- I, would, uh, I would care more about, about building a bridge with them. Number three, always sacrifice our freedom For the faith of another. And I've run into that instance as well. Where I've been in and I knew a group of believers. And they were okay with alcohol in moderation. But then someone else came in the group. And they struggled with alcoholism. And so out of love and concern. And knowing that that was something that that was um, not uh, helpful for them. Then we said, hey, out of love for this fellow believer, let's just not have alcohol when we get together. Um, And so it's just being loving and caring and compassionate and kind. Uh, What about indisputable matters? Very quickly, let's go through these. Uh, Because there's a huge misconception. So many people like to, one of the favorite verses of non-believers is Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. And it's so interesting that a lot of non-believers are memorizing scripture. And it says this, do not judge others. Now, they don't go on to the context is key in knowing God's word, right? And you will not be judged. Jesus is teaching here, and he goes on to say, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And I think, I mean, so often we don't think of Jesus as like being funny. I think he's being hilarious here. And we've just heard this. Like, if you got this two by four sticking out of your eye and you're like, hey, I think you got some dust in your eye. It's like, that's ridiculous and silly. Um let me help get, get rid of that speck in your verse five. He says, hypocrite first, get rid of the log in your own eye and you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw away your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. So what's interesting is you look at the whole passage. It says you can judge. You just do it with incredible humility and self-reflection first. And then, when you do that, and look at your own life, and look at your issues, and then and then you pause to take that time to do that, and recognize you have issues. But then you do realize that. Then it says, then you can go ahead. But but your approaching your approach is probably way different. It's probably more compassionate. It's probably a lot less prideful. Um, and so, then he goes on to talk about. I mentioned. I've uh, added verse six there because he adds a passage when he tells us to judge he says don't throw uh don't i'm sorry don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy and he starts talking about uh, being sensitive to if people are open to spiritual truth or not that if they're not and if you've had this example you know what jesus is teaching you if someone has no interest and is completely closed to spiritual things and you keep trying to share that with them it doesn't go good and, and really, they probably work, walk away going, man, those Christians or those, you know, they're just irritating people who try to preach at you. And so Jesus, so what are you doing, though? Jesus says you've got to judge that person's heart and judge how they are responding to you. So it's interesting, right after that, Jesus is like, well, here's, here's some things that you need to judge. And we're actually told several times in Scripture that we actually do need to judge. Um, in verse 15... Just after this teaching, we're just skipping some because of time, but beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. This is by the the way they act. You can pick grapes from thorn bushes or fig trees from thistles. So Jesus goes on to say, here's some more judgment you need to have. Beware of people teaching false truths about who God is. John 7.24 says, Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. 2 Timothy 4, two says, Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patient, co- patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So we're actually commanded as believers to make judgments and to, to rebuke people, to correct people. But the manner in which we do it is always very loving. And that, that's real quickly. We'll go through... Uh, number one, who do we judge? Christians only. Never non-Christians. We're never called to, to judge non-Christians. And I just want to read this one verse because it makes it so crystal clear. First Corinthians five, it says, "When I wrote to you before, Paul's talking to some believers, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, who are greedy or cheat people who worship idols." You would have to leave this planet to avoid those people. <coughs> Excuse me. I met people. I met. I met uh, people that uh, you don't associate. I'm sorry. I can't read. That you are not to associate with anymore who claim to be believers yet indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who worship uh, idols who, or who are abusive or who are drunkards or cheat people. Don't even eat with those people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly responsible to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And so that's not the issue is everybody wants to quote what Jesus said, don't judge that's a very very false statement. Well, there's some truth in it, but it's 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 not the whole truth there. Number one, who uh non-Christians, number two, clear sins, not gray areas. Clear sins. And and when we see these examples, it's clear things. God has given us clarity on how he says to do sexuality. God's given us clarity on 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 uh you know, things, things dealing with greed and, and, and on drinking alcohol. It says don't be drunk. It's pretty clear in those areas. Number three, uh, when do we do it? Before speaking to anyone else. This is not a prayer request that you give in a group because someone is struggling. If you really care about them, the Bible, and I won't even read the verse so we can wrap up here. Matthew 18 says to go to that person. And number four, in private. So you don't share this, hey, Pastor Ben, i got to tell you some juicy stuff about some people in the church. No, please don't do that. Please don't put me in that awkward situation. Then I've got to judge you in, in private, sit down with you. <laughs> so um, it says in this loving, compassionate way that's, that's very humble because you've examined yourself first, you go to someone else. And, and because you care about them and you see that whatever they're in is, is destroying them and, and going to hurt them um, and, and Matthew 18 also says to do it in private and then there's a process that if that person doesn't respond well then you might come to, to Pastor Ben or your life group leader or something like that and then, and then the process goes on and lastly how do we do it in love with the, the whole point of it is not to puff yourself up that you're so good and look at what this other person's doing, but it's to restore that person. That you know if someone is dealing with something like that, that's big enough where you feel like you've got to address it, that, that it's hurting their walk with, with God. And it is hurting their relationships. And ultimately it is hurting the body of Christ and their local church family. And so you do it in a, in a self-sacrificing way. I hope you don't want to do it, that you're like, oh, this isn't something. If, if you're eager to go tell somebody all their issues, they're, they're, that is not the spirit in which we're, we're taught, I think, to, to address people, but to help people. Um, and so that's what we're taught in Romans chapter 14.